May we all bow before Almighty Yahweh. Gracious Father in heaven, we come before you on this Sabbath day. We look for you, to you, for all those things that we strive for in this life, for the blessings of happiness that you have given, the truth that brings us true joy and the understanding as we go out and live our lives that we might be modified, that we might be changed into a pattern of your son, Yahshua the Messiah, that we might express all that he did in his life and all that he taught and all that he lived for. We pray that you will be with your brethren, the people that are yours one day, that they may find a ultimate comfort in the blessings of of your kingdom to come through Yahshua the Messiah and the marriage of the Lamb. We pray that you'll be with everyone that seeks you, that we might be a, a tool to bring that to happen. For we know this is our goal and this is our desire. So we pray, Almighty Yahweh, now that you'll bless each one here and those watching, wherever they might be. You give them a special anointing of the Spirit to understand your word. In Yahshua's name we pray. Hallelujah. You may be seated. You know, it's been said that uh, if you tell the truth, you don't need a good memory. You know, it's no secret that we have a crisis of integrity in our world. It's all over the place. It's getting more and more difficult to trust people. It used to be that your word was your bond, a simple handshake sealed the deal. Now that deal's got to be made in triplicate, signed by a lawyer, and and brought to the courthouse for filing away. Most people could be trusted to do what they said they would do because they were instilled from their youth with the principles that are in the word. Like tell the truth, keep your promises, your commitments, live up to your honorable name. Too many decades of the ends justifying the means have caused many people to throw integrity out the window. They don't care. Over time, the physical world breaks down and deteriorates. The same thing happens with social and spiritual aspects of our world. Human nature naturally learns that they don't need to be true to the word as long as they can get their way. A coarseness has taken over our culture. There is a cavalier attitude among the uh, declining culture, and I think it's brought on and made worse by social media. There you can say anything and not be accountable. You can fire a volley and run and be as down in the mouth as you want to be and not be held to the fire because it's all anonymous. Paul nailed it in his prophecy of 2 Timothy 3, 2-4, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Now, as we read these, think about our world. Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of Elohim. See, all the barriers are breaking down everywhere. 
If we keep going this way, we're going to be living in a Mad Max world where there's no control over anything. No one's abiding by any standard. Comparing today with what used to be only a few decades ago should scream loud and clear that the Bible is spot-on accurate when what it says is going to happen and what we see happening now. It offers the only solution to a world in spiritual decline. Nothing else offers right, honest, and satisfying living as Yahweh's word. What's amazing is people run from it, have nothing to do with it for the most part. Well, Yahshua's going to have a say in that when he comes back. He's going to change everything back again to the way it should have been, the way this world was made to be. He's going to bring back all the goodness that Yahweh had planned. Let's look at the dark side of human nature for just a second. Some of the worst examples of duplicity and dishonesty are found in politics. Recent polls have consistently shown that people do not expect their elected leaders to keep their promises. Their promises are made primarily to get elected. It's a game of charades. Not everyone, but for the most part, most. Give them what they want. Give them what they want to hear and they'll put you in office. And that explains why many leaders lack honesty, integrity, reliability, and are just out there taking for what they can get. They will not run a trustworthy government. As goes the leadership, so go the people. This problem in politics is symptomatic of a, a greater breakdown in the society itself. We see it in corporate scandals, unspeakable crimes, families in turmoil, dysfunctional families. We see all around us the results when a culture loses honor and integrity, when the scriptures no longer matter in their lives. Think back to yesteryear. During his time as a rancher, Theodore Roosevelt and one of his cowpunchers lassoed a maverick steer, lit a fire and prepared to brand the animal. The part of the range they were on was claimed by Gregor Lang, one of Roosevelt's neighbors. According to the cattleman's code, the steer now belonged to, to Lang. And Roosevelt suddenly realized it. As his cowboy began to apply the brand, Roosevelt says, wait, it should be Lang's brand, not mine. That's all right, boss, said the cowboy. But you're putting my brand on, Roosevelt said. That's right, said the man. Drop that iron, Roosevelt said. Get back to the ranch, get your gear, and get out. A man who will steal for me will also steal from me. You know, like a highway, it goes both ways. Lack of honesty goes in both directions. A man named Stuart Briscoe tells of being hired by a bank. He was young, new, just learning the ropes. One day his boss told him, if Mr. Anderson calls for me, tell him I'm out. Oh, boss, are you going somewhere? No, I just don't want to speak to him, so just tell him I'm out. Let me make sure I understand. You want me to lie for you? Do you want me to tell him 
something not true? The boss blew up, angry at being questioned by his young employee. Stuart prayed and was given a flash of insight. Sir, you should be pleased because if I won't lie for you, it's safe to assume that I won't lie to you. You know, as biblical ethics evaporate all around us, we see hypocrisy and outright dishonesty rampant everywhere. We live in a world of deceit and falsehood and advertising, politics, business, personal relationships, everywhere. We've all been victimized, you know. It happens regularly. You buy a product known by the manufacturer to be defective, and you get stuck with it. And then they want to honor the warranty. They'll find a loophole. I want this. Well, you didn't do this or that, so we can't honor the, the warranty. And you're stuck. Spouses lie to each other and parents to their children. So we have children believing in Easter Bunny and Santa Claus. It's been going on since the dawn of time, since Genesis chapter 3, when Hasatan tells Eve, you won't surely die. You'll, in fact, be greater than you are. You'll be like the Most High. And poor Eve, she didn't know anything about that world, so she took the bite. Even traditional practices hide duplicity. <clears throat> when we write letters... We commonly sign off with sincerely or sincerely yours. We've all done that. Its practice has its origin in ancient Rome. Roman sculptors often concealed cracks and apparently flawless sculptors, sculptures by melting beeswax over the cracks. Well, when the beeswax hardened and then dried out and, and fell out, their, their uh, cover-up was revealed. Reputable sculptors guaranteed their work as sinacera, sincerely, which simply meant without wax. No deceptions. There's no wax on this one. So next time you write a letter, you can sign off without wax, yours truly. You know, in many other ways, we are subject to deceit by those lacking integrity, as when we aren't told about a hidden charge on a purchase or on an account, but not honored by the, uh, by the merchant or whoever. A friend turns out not to be a friend after all. We recently learned here in the office when we switched to another company that we were locked in, they said, to a, to a uh, contract, re recurring contract that we never agreed to. And this was a Christian organization. Well, we did some sleuthing and found out that that was in violation of state law. Because if you're going to have a revolving recurring contract, it has to be agreed to by the purchaser. We never did. We told them about it thankfully, and saved ourselves thousands of dollars. And uh, they immediately uh, backed off. You know, honesty and integrity go to together. The honest person will be above board in everything. You can count on him to be trustworthy. That he, everything he does will be on the up and up. Yahshua described Nathaniel 
as an Israelite in whom there was no guile. What did he mean by that, John 1.47? Well, the Greek guile is dolos, and it means crafty deceit, falsehood. There was no falsehood in this guy. He was a front guy, a stand-up guy. It is related to the word for decoy, a device used to fool. <coughs> Here was a guy you could trust. One who meant and did what he said. If he said he'd be there by 10 o'clock, he would be here by 10 o'clock. You could set your watch by it. You could always count on this fellow on getting the straight story from him. And he won the praise of Yahshua himself. Boy, wouldn't that be nice? Have Yahshua praise you for your character because you're an honest person of integrity? In fact, his honesty was so exemplary that Yahshua made a special example of these virtues in uh, his life. He did it again in Mark 10, verse 19. I, I want you to look closely at the word. I don't know if you noticed this, but when he reviews the commandments to the young man, he says to the rich young man, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not, do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. So mixed in with the 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth commandment are the words, do not defraud. Because you know, that vice impacts so many other commandments. It's not specifically one of the Ten Commandments, but it's at the root of most of them. Defrauding, meaning an intentional falsehood in order to take advantage of another person. And it's related to bearing false witness, not telling the truth. It's always amazing to me. Uh, you watch a court proceeding, and uh, they, they start off with a guy. He's got, I don't know, they don't have the hand on the Bible anymore, which is, uh, will you, you know, tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth? And he says, yes, I will. And then you spend the next two hours proving that he's not telling the truth. It always amazes to me that they get away with that. I said, I'm going to tell the truth, and I don't tell the truth. They ought to say, okay, you're done. Go to jail. Because you just, you just uh, lied. Well, Joshua classified it under murder and stealing. It's the very act of defrauding that Judas committed in order to get Joshua's life, put to, get him put to death. You know, having integrity means being totally honest, truthful in everything. And the most important quality you can have, which will count, count on every aspect of your life, is being a person of integrity should be every believer's goal. Making the commitment to become a totally honest, upright person will ensure success with Yahweh himself. One of the most serious of deceits is to allege a devotion to Yahweh that isn't there. When a selfish act and evil habits secretly lurk in the heart of a Bible-professing person, there's a serious problem going on. It's been said that the true measure of an individual is what he does when no one is looking. Let's look at some examples of integrity or lack thereof. Exodus 8.29, and Moses said, Behold, I go out from you, and I will entreat Yahweh. He's talking to Pharaoh. I will entreat Yahweh 
that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. But let not Pharaoh deal deceitfully. He already knew what was going to happen. He already knew it. Anymore in not letting the people go to sacrifice to Yahweh. Integrity includes keeping your word. Pharaoh broke his word, what, nine times? Yeah, I'll let you go, but just, you know, do this, this, and this. Just stop those plagues. I'll let them go. I'll let them go. I'll let them go. He had an integrity problem going back on his word. It's the quality that locks in your values and causes you to live consistent with them. A person who has integrity, has an unblemished character in most ways, in every area of his life. Integrity is the foundation of righteous character. A key to that is keeping your promise. It's easy to make promises, but it's hard oftentimes to keep them. When you keep a promise, you show integrity, which in turn strengthens your character, not only for you, but in the eyes of others. If he says he's going to do it, he'll do it. When we had our uh, contractor, general contractor building over here, when he said he would do something, you could count on it. And all the subcontractors knew it. They didn't doubt him at all because he was a man of integrity. As you act with complete integrity, you'll find that every part of your life is going to improve. You'll be seen as someone people can trust, someone who walks the talk. You know, the very definition of integrity means complete and unbroken. It means soundness. You know, if you have a, a, a mach- something, uh, part of a machine, you say, well, that, that part has integrity. It means it's, it's solid, it's together, everything is good with it. it doesn't have, it's not broken in any way. Well, that's really what integrity means. And you'll be seen as someone people can trust. You're sound in morality, uprightness, honesty, sincerity. You're not lacking anywhere. You have integrity. Like having a good reputation. To be seen as a promise keeper is a characteristic that leads not just to success in life, but to success with Almighty Yahweh. And that's where we want to be anyway, right? We first learned about promises from our parents. When promises were kept, we learned the importance of obligations, commitment, and about sincerity, reliability, trust, responsibility, all of that. And when promises were broken, we learned about frustration and disappointment. You know, somewhere in our journey to adulthood, the simplicity of making a promise and keeping it became more complex because life itself became more complex became more complicated. To keep a promise became harder to do because more situations impacted it or conflicted with it. Promising to pay back what you owed was more difficult when other important needs had to be met too. Today, promises are often sacrificed on the altar of the busy lives we live. Society has learned to make and break promises all the time. And worst of all, to believe it's okay. That's just part of business. You tell someone you'll do something and then renege. Soon you get a reputation and lose trust of others. But that also means you lack integrity. An example of a lack of integrity. I remember a young elder, one of our previous uh, groups, was consistently 
And I mean consistently late for services. I never got it. Get up 10 minutes early if you're going to be 10 minutes late. But it was consistent. You could set your watch by that. 10 minutes after, here he comes. He and his family come sauntering in, disrupting the service and all of that. He had a responsibility to be on time for a number of reasons. For one thing, as an elder, you're, you're an example. Um, you have people that are, are following what you say, and by his truancy, he showed little concern for the brotherhood. It's just a cavalier attitude about his position. Thankfully, that's not a problem here at YRM. Some may be last-minute men, but often not late-minute men. So I'm glad of that. Another example, well, these are smaller things, but they all impact a person's character and, and so forth, is dress code. We, uh, I just heard on the news, I don't know if you heard, it was down in Texas, I believe, a school system had to impose a dress code for parents when they bring their children to school. I mean, it comes so sloppily dressed, you think they're heading for the city dump. My wife says it's true. She's seen it here. The way that parents dress, they should be ashamed of this stuff. They're, they're, they're setting an example not only for their kids, but for the others. And it shows a whole lack of respect. A whole lack of respect when they dress like that. 2 Corinthians 8.21 Paul admonishes us to live honest lives, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of Yahweh, but also in the sight of men. Be honest in your relationships, he says, with your time and with your finances. Two researchers surveyed thousands of people around the world and performed more than 400 written case studies. They identified those characteristics most desired in a leader in virtually every one. In every survey, honesty and integrity were identified more frequently than any other trait. That stands to reason that people are going to follow someone, whether in battle, in business, or ministry, or whatever, they want assurance that the leadership is trusted and keeps its word. We find many examples in Scripture of those who demonstrated integrity in a variety of situations. Samuel was such a man. In his farewell speech for Samuel 12, verse 1, Samuel said to all of Israel, I have listened to you in all that you have said to me and have set a king over you. Because he was bowing out, you know, as, his, uh, as a prophet. And he said, I set a king over you. See, it's the king now who's going to lead you. I am old and gray, but my sons are with you. I have led you from my youth unto this day. Here I am. Testify against me, he says, before Yahweh and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Huh? Whose ox? Whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Come on, let me know. I need to know. Or from whom hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. I want to make everything right. My days are numbered. I want to get, you know, clear the slate. If I borrowed something, didn't bring it back, let me know. If I 
somehow did something wrong? I want to know. I want to make it right. This was a man of integrity. He thought beyond today. He thought into the future and what is going to impact his very salvation. Well, they said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything uh, from the hand of anyone. He said to them, Yahweh is witnessed against you and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, he is witness. You're right on, true blue. After having led Israel for decades, at the end of his days, he promised to make everything right again. What a promise. Even more impressive was that not one person rose up to make a claim against him. A whole life lived. and Nobody had a problem with him. Samuel's honesty permeated every area of his life. These two characteristics direct how he regarded his possessions, his business dealings, his treatment of others, the treatment of weaker persons. He also showed that he was concerned that all his affairs would be made right. All his affairs, if there was anything wrong, were in order before he stood before the judge of the universe. In our day, promises must be signed by attorneys in triplicate filed at the courthouse to ensure compliance, um, and then we have lawsuits. Commitments have become fluid, taken with a grain of salt, kind of like our Constitution anymore. It just, it's changeable. We can change it. We don't have to live by it. Well, things have changed. I can't pay you like I promised. So you're telling me your word is meaningless? Is that what you're saying? I remember when we were young, Marge and I had just gotten married. She was babysitting, and uh, we needed the money, as all young people do with kids. And uh, she was babysitting for a gal who one day came and said, uh, it's Friday, I need to get paid. Marge said, you can't get blood out of a turnip. Is that my problem? You promised to pay me a certain amount every week. I think she lost it. I don't think she ever got paid. I know I would help, but something came up. In other words, I'm putting something else before the promise I made. Or, even worse, to make a lifelong vow to Yahweh to be faithful to him and then drift back, go backward to your former state of sin because you lack the resolve. That's as serious as it gets. When I hear of organizations who baptize people with virtually no pre-counseling, it's reprehensible in my book. This is the most important step in their life, dealing with their very salvation, and they're not told what baptism entails, what it means in their life from here on out, the commitment, the vow you're making to Yahweh. They do it like they're, like it's nothing, just automatic. Dunk them and that's it. Don't even have laying out of hand. Well, it's spiritual negligence, negligence of the highest order in my book. To have the sacred responsibility of informing and guiding a convert to Yahshua is the, most, is the most important decision that he's going to make with consequences that are eternal. And treat it lightly. Treat it with remiss. Without so much as explaining the seriousness, the gravity of what's going on. 
to renege on that vow is about as dire an infraction as anyone in the ministry can commit before the eyes of Yahweh. Do we realize what a vow means to Yahweh? When we tell him that we're going to do something, does he say, yeah, okay, until probably next week and then you can do whatever you want. You don't have to fulfill it. Well, we had an example. We talked about this in the Bible study. He says, when you vow a vow, Ecclesiastes 5.4, defer not to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay that which you have vowed, because better it is that you should not vow than vow and not pay. Don't even do it. If you have any question that you might not be able to follow through, then don't make the vow. Suffer not your mouth to cause your flesh to sin. Neither say that before the angel, well, it was a mistake. You know, I wasn't quite thinking right. Uh, you know, I, I didn't realize what it meant. I mean, I didn't know what I was in for. He says, wherefore should Elohim be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your own hands? Possibly wipe you out of consciousness. In Judges 11, a man named Jephthah was called on to lead Israel into battle against the Ammonites. In verse 30, he makes one of the strangest vows in the Bible. Or, or was it? He vowed a vow unto Yahweh and said, If you give me victory over the Ammonites, I will sacrifice. When I get back, Whatsoever comes forth out of my house, I'll offer a burnt offering, a burnt sacrifice for it. Now, whatsoever is a very weird word. I looked it up last night, and I, it's very strange with multiple meanings, which in Hebrew mostly means whatever comes forth or bursts forth from my house. Now, consider this too. In the Iron Age... Homes often housed livestock, kind of like we went to uh, the Northeast, New England. And the homes there are connected to the barn. And in Germany, the, the people live, or they used to, live over their animals out on, the, out on the farm to kind of help keep the house warm, keep it smelling very good. Never could understand that one. But they're, they're connected to the house. So the animals kind of livestock lived with the people. That's what I'm saying. Same thing happened here. So was he really thinking about the ramifications? Well, they were victorious. He heads back home after his victory, verse 34. He came to Mizpah unto his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances. She was his only child besides her, he had neither son or daughter. Oops. Beware of making a rash vow. Did he sacrifice his daughter? Some say yes, some say no. Some say no, that Yahweh would not accept that, a human sacrifice, but the pagans do. She was just fated for a life of celibacy. That's why our friends mourned her virginity. The problem is that in faithfulness, Verse 30, that is that in faithfulness, verse 39, it says, Jephthah did according to his vow. So 
Kind of those unanswered questions. But when Yahweh makes a covenant, there's no question that he can be trusted to fulfill it. He has a new covenant. But in the old covenant, he says, I'm going to give you a new covenant that doesn't wipe out the old covenant, but what makes a few changes. You know, look it up in Jeremiah. They'll make a few changes in the covenant, and that itself is a covenant. In 1 Chronicles 16, 15, it says, be mindful always of his covenant, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations, even of the covenant which he made with Abraham and of his oath unto Isaac, and hath confirmed the same to Jacob for a law and to Israel for an everlasting covenant. So if that covenant is everlasting, how could it be a new covenant that wipes out the old covenant? Well, we don't believe it does. We believe there may be some changes in it, administration of the priesthood, you know, sacrifices now taken over by Yahshua, but basically the foundational aspects of that covenant are still in force because it's an everlasting covenant. Can you deny the word? People say, oh, that's, that's Old Testament law, that's Old Covenant. Still, it's an everlasting covenant, is it not? That's what it says, First Chronicles 16, 15. And hath confirmed the same to Jacob for a law, and to Israel for an everlasting covenant. Psalm 105, 8. He has remembered his covenant forever. The, now, our Old Testament now, by the way. Which he commanded to a thousand generations. Now, that doesn't mean, well, we ain't there yet either. A thousand generations is a long time. But, you know, the Bible uses uh, language like this to show things that are like forever. You know, it doesn't mean exactly a thousand when he, he says you forgive 70 times 7, does that mean that after 490 you don't have to forgive? No, it's just a, a way of expressing the, the length as a never-ending thing. Yahweh will forgive every time if we're repentant. He will forgive. But that also means you don't go back to it. The dog doesn't go back, back to his vomit. You, you uh, move on. And you grow in higher knowledge and higher, uh, the higher will of Yahweh. Biblical integrity is not just saying the right thing. It's not even a matter of just doing the right thing. It's also a matter of having the right heart and allowing his word to infiltrate, to affect your life and your person as you are on the inside to match the person you appear to be on the outside. Wouldn't it be great if people actually were as they appear? You know, they put on a facade. They put on, you know, they're, they're happy. They're really not. Maybe we don't want to know. <laughs> if they're not happy, we just, you know, they look happy, so maybe that's enough. But uh, we also want to be able to, you know, commiserate with them if we, we have to. But, you know, people put on this, put on the airs and so forth and, it's a matter of having the right heart. This is how Yahweh is. This is how he expects his people to be. Change on the inside. In Isaiah 6, when the prophet was given a glimpse of the majesty of Yahweh, he was totally overwhelmed. I am undone, Isaiah said. I'm torn apart. Which is just the opposite of integrity. Integrity is all coming together solid. I'm torn apart. I'm Unintegrated. He 
he finds himself just blown away when he sees the majesty of Yahweh. A glimpse of Yahweh on his throne. He just cannot believe it. And how utter depraved he is as a human being. Throughout the Bible, man's encounters with Yahweh's presence are very consistent in this way. For example, when Peter realizes, remember they're out fishing? They got two fishing boats out there. Been fishing all day. Vance would love this. Fishing all day and getting nothing. And Yasha climbs in the boat. He starts giving a little sermon. And he says, oh, by the way, guys, just cast your net over, over here. Just cast your net over here. And Peter says, we've been fishing all day. What are you talking about? There's nothing there. He pulls up the net. It was so full. It broke the net. And the, guy, the, the boat next door had to come and help them with so many fish. And Peter, instead of saying something like, how did you do this miracle? He says, I'm undone. I'm a sinful man. Don't even come near me. I realize who you are. I realize what you can do. I realize you are the Savior. Don't even come near me. I'm dirt. This is Luke 5a if you want to read it. Peter knows what's just happened is not natural. It's supernatural. And only a super being could do something supernatural. Peter is aware of Yahshua's power and holiness and his own sinfulness in comparison. An encounter with holiness is traumatic. The holiness of Yahweh is, is, is a standard to which we can never measure up to. If we could only have a glimpse, how much it would change our lives. We can see it in our mind's eye. We can read it in the book, you know, and he says, those that, blessed are those that haven't seen and yet believe, as opposed to those who have seen, been walking with Yahshua and believe. He says, how about those like us who never had that opportunity, yet they believe? In other words, how much greater is that? So it's a traumatic thing to carnal man who thinks so much of himself when he's compared to what really is with Yahweh. In John 18, 4, a cohort of armed soldiers comes to arrest Yahshua. We know the story. We read it at, baptism, or at uh, Passover. And they have their own traumatic encounter with holiness. As many as 600 soldiers fall to the ground. The word is pipto. And its use implies that they were almost catatonic when they fell down. They couldn't move. They were falling into judgment. It appears as if the pronouncement of Yahweh's name, ha, Hayah, the veil of his flesh was lifted, and the precarnate glory, maybe for a nanosecond, and they were just blown away, knocked to the ground. The soldiers didn't arrest Yahshua. He arrested them. His power was a gracious warning that they were in over their pathetic little heads. Now they are more afraid than the one they came looking for. You know, Yahweh's holiness is truly awesome. And in a small part, we ourselves are, we'll, 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 are to manifest the same. 
Paul in Ephesians 4.1 tells us to walk worthy of our calling. So I guess we need regular reviews. How are we walking? Are we worthy of that calling? Have we failed? Do we need to repent? To have our heart, our heart profess what our lips are doing. We don't just represent him. One day we're going to be married to him if we remain faithful. We're betrothed to him. Integrity means living by a code of moral ethics that are Yahweh's laws. When some say the law is abolished, they're saying we can live without integrity. We can live lawlessly. The Bible teaches a high and holy ethic. A person who claims to be a believer and to live by biblical standard is making an ethical statement that his life is going to follow the truth. No matter where it leads. No matter where it leads. I don't live for me. I worship Yahweh. And whatever he wants, I want to give it to him. He's the one I'm worshiping. Forget me. Get away from me, like Peter says. I'm not worthy of you. He or she has committed a certain, to a certain high morality when you accept Yahweh and his word. For that, purpose, that person to have integrity then, he's got to live by the biblical ethic. You have on high one who is pure in ethics. You can have a high ethic or you can have a low ethic. You, cho- you choose. You can be moral or immoral. The choice is yours. But if you want integrity, you must choose your ethic wisely every day and live to match it. It does matter to Yahweh. He matter, you matter to him. Yahshua makes it unequivocally clear that the worst choice is the hypocritical one. It says and do, does not. The one who puts on a facade, making it look like he is something he's not. This is serious stuff. When we find our actions not matching our mouth, the probing question of Yahshua in Luke 646 should echo in our hearts. Why do you call me master, master, and do not do what I say? You're not living up to the ethic. Your integrity is lacking. No one respects a person who talks a good game but fails to live it. Others may forget 90% of what you say, but I tell you what, they'll never forget how you do. How do we train up a child in the way he should go? We do the walk ourselves as an example for them, as well as teach. This is why Paul tells Timothy in uh, 1 Timothy 4.15 to walk the talk. Meditate upon these things. Give yourself wholly to them, that your profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto yourself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you shall both save yourself and them that hear you. Amazing, isn't it? We can impact those who hear the word through us. Translation, be an example of a believer. We're never going to attain perfection in this life, but there should be progress toward it, evident every day in our conduct, in what we say, what we do. Two things Paul exhorts Timothy to watch. Your life and your teaching. In other words, give careful attention to your belief. Make sure that you live it so others have no occasion to say, well, 
He's a hypocrite. He talks a good line, but look at how he lives. Make sure they match integrity that others can see and learn from. That's our goal. You know, each of us is a billboard for Yahweh, a walking billboard. And the Bible for the unconverted won't be read. It'll be seen through you. We have only one shot at this life. If we have made a mess of it so far, we can always seek forgiveness and change. That's always available. Yahweh promises to forgive if we are sincere in changing our life. That's what he wants anyway. He wants a changed life. He wants a new life that he can use in his kingdom. He said the sinner won't be in his kingdom. He can't trust him, kind of like Roosevelt couldn't trust him, kind of like, you know, the story of the banker. If you're going to lie now, how can he use you then? But if you repent and walk a higher road, oh yeah, he can use you and he wants to use you as part of his coming kingdom. May Yahweh bless you.